belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for June 4th, 2023 is called Deliverance is Messy. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Vesper Point, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I love meeting outside. I was so excited when we got the chance to meet back outside for the the upcoming weeks. Um, It's fitting that Mount Sequoia is a bird sanctuary um, as we listen to the different birds. And I've walked around with my, I'm nerding out here, but I've walked around with my bird ID app and identified two dozen different species just walking around that are going to join with us in our time this morning. So I encourage you to to bring your church hat and bring your bird app and bring your blanket and sit with us on these Sunday mornings this summer. We're really excited about that. But my name is John Ray again. I'm really glad you're here if you're joining us on Facebook Live, if you're listening to the podcast. Um, Podcast is going to be great with all the bird noise in the background. Um, Really, really glad you're here this morning. If you've been around Grace Church long enough, you've heard me quote the great theologian Jürgen Moltmann and tell the story of how he became a Christ follower. But I want to revisit it here this morning because I think it offers a profound example of what we see in our text this week. A complexity of biography. One that demonstrates that deliverance is often messy. You see, Moltmann was a young man in Germany at the start of World War II And he was conscripted into the Nazi army, made part of an anti-aircraft unit. He fought against the Allies. But he was captured near the end of the war, and he was interred in a POW camp in Scotland. Now, many of the Axis prisoners, a lot of people don't know this, but even after the war ended, many of the Axis prisoners were retained as conscripted or indentured servants to help rebuild the British Isles from all the bombs that were dropped during the Blitz. So even after the war was over, Moltmann stayed in this POW camp in Scotland. However, after the war, the restrictions were eased somewhat, and the, and the control of the camp was given over to the YMCA. And so it was during one of the services of the YMCA that Moltmann heard the gospel and committed his life to become a Christ follower even as he was still an indentured servant or a prisoner of his enemies. Can you imagine, can we imagine becoming truly free while being a prisoner of your former enemies, the ones he shot at while they bombed his countries, the country, the one he worked as a conscripted laborer for because of the atrocities his own country had committed? It's not a clean story, is it? It's not easy. It's not simple. But it's real. This week we encounter something similar in our text. And if you've been traveling with us, we're going through the journey through Exodus. We're using Walter Brueggemann's outline as a kind of a just a resource to guide us through. And he identifies these key passages. But I want to encourage you in your personal study to continue to read all of the, the scriptures that surround these specific text. This week our text is from chapter 12 verse 31 and it's the end of what we talked about this 
this um, demonstration of God's power over the gods of Egypt and God's response to the cries of the people of Israel to come in as the deliverer. Finally, it comes to the point where Pharaoh, it says, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron in the night. This is after the death of the innocents of the firstborn of all the land, except those who had their houses marked by the um, blood. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron in the night and said, get up, get out from among my people. Both you and the Israelites go and serve the Lord as you have requested. Also take all your flocks, all your herds, just as you have requested and leave. And then there's this addendum, but bless me also at the end. And we see here in this culmination of this conflict of this um, God stepping in to deliver people from oppression that our desire for a simple, clean story does not obligate God to give us one. Let me say that again. Our desire for a simple, clean story does not obligate God to give us one. History is a complex mix of joy and pain. Specific incidents can mean very different things to different people depending on your viewpoint and how you look at it. We see that this this story of Exodus starts with a cry of the Israelites to God for deliverance and it ends with the wailing of the Egyptians as they mourn the death of their children. And if you've been like me and you've heard this preached in many times in Sunday school lessons and everything, it, it, it's, it's almost always the one-sided from the view of the Israelites, the ones being delivered and to celebrate and to look at God as a deliverer. And yay, us, we're out of there. We're taught to identify with the Israelites. We're taught to identify with the people who are oppressed and to praise God for the deliverance. But it's not that easy, is it, with this? There are some problems here, problems in the Exodus story that indeed, and indeed problems throughout the biblical text. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. However well-intentioned the effort and attempt to sanitize, demystify, or justify certain texts does not lead to good outcomes. Sure, we handle the text with reverence and in a way that is appropriate for people at different ages or levels in their faith development, but when we attempt to ignore, minimize, or cover over the difficult parts, we do damage to the text and to the ability for people's faith to mature. So what are the problems we see here and elsewhere in Exodus? Well, the first one is what about the violence done to the Egyptians? Now, it's easy, to, it's easy to justify this when we look at Pharaoh and we look at Pharaoh's obstinance and the hardening of his, heart, of his heart that we talked about. It's easy to imagine that this is pretty clean story when we think about the taskmasters and the, and the people who were at the top of the social pyramid, the people who were gaining from the oppression of the Israelites who were inflicting the violence and the trauma on them. But that, it wasn't just their kids that died that night of Passover. It wasn't just the magician's son. It was the herder's son. It was the shopkeeper's son. It was the mom's son. It was all of them. People who had no say in how things were run. People who had, they they weren't the ones doing the oppressing. They weren't the ones as part of that. And yet they also suffered 
The second problem we have here is, is the thinking that if we think that suddenly being set free from the crushing weight of slavery suddenly make everything better for the Israelites? I mean, sure, there's, there's this joy we see going out, but does that fix 400 years of oppression? Does that fix the beatings and the rapes, the execution and the neglect? Was all of that suddenly done away with? Was all this generational trauma all, all of a sudden like, hey, we're all good now? We're out of there. We're no longer there. It's all good now. I mean, can you imagine after that high of being delivered and going out, all of a sudden just washed away the past? And it was forgotten. And surely not. In fact, we'll see as we go in. <laughs> the Egyptian or the Israelites carried a lot more with them out of Egypt than just their flocks and their household belongings. They carried a lot more with them that they're going to have to deal with. As we talked in our teaching team or this week, Laura brought up how so much of our culture is trying to remove the parts of our story that involve our complicity in violence and oppression. Whether it is the rewriting of textbooks, silencing of voices that bring attention to this oppression. And maybe the greatest tragedy is many of the people leading in this effort claim to be Christian. The thought is if, I think their thought is if we erase this part of our history, we avoid responsibility, we avoid culpability, we avoid the need to make things right with that. Maybe that's a little bit of what's going on in Exodus with that, that the story that we get seems so one-sided towards that of the Israelites, and I understand it, but we have to understand that, that they're telling their story from a specific point of view. And this is one of the ways we do mature biblical exegesis, is we understand that, that this is a particular point of view that is being expressed. As a rabbi once said, once said, when we encounter this, we have to let God's people tell their story. We understand that. We can, we can get that. We can understand they're telling their story. But then we have to understand, well, what's our story? How does that intersect? Because ours is not the same story. Yes, there are similarities. Yes, there are places where they intersect. But there are also places where they diverge. And all of us are writing our own biographies, you see. Individually and collectively, we're writing biology, biography. Biography is an attempt to make sense of our lives. It's the story we tell ourselves about our lives, about the world, about the world around us, about where we've come from, who we are, and who we're going to become. It's about the world we want to live, live for our, leave for our children. And there's a, there's a disastrous tendency that we have as individuals, as, as people just in general, but as Christians specifically, we have this disastrous tendency to want to cover up for God. The things that people have questions about or they, they may seem don't fit or, or seem out of sorts or out of character, we, we want to make excuses for that. We feel, like, we feel like it's our responsibility to make God look good. And God's in trouble if that's true especially for me. 
But all of us feel that responsibility. We feel the weight of it. No, that's not helping anybody. That's not helping anybody. God can take care of God's self. God is perfectly capable of taking care of God's self without our help. Our, our job is to bear witness. Don't get me wrong. Our job is to bear witness. Bear witness of our experience with God, of what we understand about God, of what we're seeking from God, of what we receive from God. Yes, we bear witness to these things, but we don't make excuses. It's not our job to make excuses. It's not our job to, to take away the complexity, to demystify things with that. Um, it's interesting. I'm listening to uh, Beth Moore's biography that she's written about her life, and it's, and it's great listening because she reads it. And I'm a sucker for a good southern accent. So uh, she reads it in all her Arkansas twang, and, uh, and she deals with some very deep emotional trauma that she had that if you had just gone to one of her Bible studies, you would never know about. But it, she talks about this. She talks about how she had to get to a certain place in her life, a certain maturity, a certain trust, where then she could admit the places where she doesn't understand. She doesn't understand why it happened in her life. She doesn't understand why it didn't turn out. She doesn't understand the things that were done to her maliciously, hatefully, traumatically. But she can still bear witness to those things because she's let go of that need to make it easy, to make it smooth, to make it nice. There's a third thing here as well. Not only the violence done to the Egyptians and the trauma that the people were carrying with them, but just this overall idea of violence of God in general. And we're not going to solve this on one Sunday morning, y'all. This is not something that we can deal with, but we need to recognize that it is a problem. But I also want to give you hope that there is a way through this. Um, Miroslav Wolf is a contemporary theologian now who has written a lot about this idea. He comes from a pacifist background. But even he admits that the violence is an inescapable dimension of God's unconditional love. Those themes, those, those themes seem irreconcilable to us. Retributional violence and unconditional love. How can those two things coexist? Y'all, I don't know. But we do have to recognize that its absence would signal indifference to suffering. Not love. And so we need to wrestle with these things. And in, in helping us also, when we encounter the Exodus story, we have to understand that this is, like much of the Bible, like much of the biblical text, this is descriptive. It's not proscriptive. It is describing an event from a particular people's point of view at a particular time. It is not setting a standard that somehow we're supposed to emulate or follow, at least not in this. Of course, there are good characteristics and things that we want to learn and things we want to emulate. Violence isn't one of them. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, for, and further, we need to understand that Exodus is a, is a story of a people group at one time who they, they are crying out from their place of oppression. And they are responded with, they were responded to with God's promise that while there may be weeping in the moment, there will come a place where there is an end to tears. No more oppression. 
and no more one group on top and the other group on bottom. And this is what I think they were to carry with them. We see this later on in the injunctions that come in Deuteronomy, where it says one of the commandments, the greatest, one of the greatest commandments that were given to the people is remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I am commanding you to remember. And we've talked about this. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, how the point of having all the plagues wasn't just that God was dunking on Pharaoh, that God was just showing off somehow. We know after the third plague, God won, whatever that means. And then seven more plagues come. He, God wasn't just, exert, just showing off. No, God was giving the people a story so that they would remember and not forget. He was emphasizing, you need to remember what's happened here with this. At least one of the things that was happening with that. So here's what I'd like to ask of us this morning. As you think about your own history, you think about your own biography. Are you trying to make it nice? Are you trying to make it simple? Or somehow are you trying to make excuses to make God look good? Are there things that have happened in your life and maybe things that are still happening in your life that you don't have an answer for, but you feel the need to somehow cover over or gloss over or make it nice. Is there something like that in your life? Is there something that, in another way to say it, is there something that you're keeping separate from God? That somehow you're saying, in this part of my life, God's not really capable. I don't really trust God with this part. I don't really believe that if God got involved with this, that something good would happen. And so we keep that out. Another way to say this, how comfortable are you with having a complex biography? How comfortable are you with having a biography that involves trauma that's been done to you, but maybe trauma that you've done. Things, ways that you've been taken advantage of, but maybe ways that you took advantage of others. Maybe privilege that you've accepted that you didn't deserve. Maybe oppression that was put on you that you didn't deserve either. And hold all of that together. Hold all of it together as holy. Hold all of it together as not necessary in the sense of being prescriptive to be the person you are, because I don't really understand that, but necessary in the sense of understanding who you are. Necessary in the, in the, in the sense of becoming a whole person, integrated with all of it together. You see, in our desire to, for our lives to be sanitized, free from violence, conflict, cost, we often perpetuate the cycle. In denying it, we actually enable it to continue with that. Our freedom often comes at a cost to others. 
We've cost people things to be where we are. And it will cost us for other people to get where they are. And we can't get any kind of understanding without being willing to accept the mess, the complexity of it. But friends, I want to tell you as we struggle with all this and wrestle with all this, I know it can sound heavy, that there is meaning and hope in the midst of all this. The weight of history may threaten to crush us, whether it's our history of our society or our individual histories or the histories of our families. It may threaten to crush us, but we are granted faith and fellowship with the one who overcomes all such menaces. We are gathered here not because we are winners, not because we are even the good guys, y'all. It's not why we're here. But because of the mercy and affection and invitation of the God who redeems and restores. The one whose story is the one story that encompasses all stories. Betty reminded us in the, in the teaching team this week that God is worthy of worship because God acts. God does act. Maybe not on our time, maybe not in our understanding, but God is active and alive, moving and present. And God's ultimate act is in the person of Jesus Christ who reconciles all things, oppressors and oppressed, stories of trauma and suffering and oppression and injustice with greater stories of healing, deliverance, freedom, reparations, restorations, and redemption. That is why we can hold those things together. That is why we don't have to be scared to look into the darkest part of our biographies, our histories. That is why we can face those things with clear eyes and clear minds because we know what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing. That's where our hope is. Not that we're going to make it simple. That's, that's what I want to say is our hope is not that we can figure it out. Our hope is not that we somehow can create meaning. Our hope is not somehow that I can redeem what I've done or what's been done to me. My hope is that that's already been done. That that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus is doing. My hope is in Jesus, not in myself. Therefore, I can lay my whole story out. I don't have to hide it. I don't have to try to gloss it over. I don't have to try to make it clean. Well, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up this morning. as we transition in this time of communion, of offering and reflection, um, one thing we say at Grace often is, hey, y'all don't believe me just because I've got a microphone. Do not, don't take my word for it. Search it out, test it out. Bounce it, throw it up against the wall, run it through the washing machine, whatever you gotta do. But if it's true, make it your truth too. Not just second hand, make it first hand. During this time also, we, we reflect on this. And like I said at the beginning, when I held my arms out about all the things that we left and all the things we're going into, is as soon as you walk down this grass-covered path, the, all that stuff's going to come flooding back in on you. 
So if there's something you need to do, if there's something that you do that you know you need to take away from this, write it down. Make a note on your phone. Do something. Tell somebody about it. But commit now to do it in the moment with that. We also take our offering this time as a time of showing that none of us here is without something to give, as well as there is none here without a need. So we share. Our communion table is open to everyone. There is only one person that serves this table, and that's Jesus. There's only one person that offers the invitation, and that's Jesus. And he said, y'all come. And y'all means everybody. So y'all come and take the body, the blood, knowing that this is the God who can handle your messy story. This is the God who can reconcile your questions. This is the God who is okay with you walking in mystery in some of the things in your life. At Grace Church, one of the ways we express our practice of radical hospitality is saying there is just one door, meaning that everyone comes in the same way. No matter how messy your story is, we all walk through the same door. So y'all come on in. Thanks for being here this morning. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.